Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Tuesday morning to you. Mike McNamara in for a Tuesday edition of All Marine Radio. And joining me very quickly are going to be Tim Lynch and Will Cosentini. We're going to talk about two things. Um, an article written in the Washington Post, an opinion piece by Generals Krulak, Sheehan, and Zinni. First time General Krulak's name appears attached to something in public. So we'll talk about that and get their thoughts on whether that breaks squelch or not. And the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, came out in public and uh, stated that the United States was interested in seeing a a diminished Russia. And so I want to talk to them about why would he make such comment and... Why would he articulate that in public? Okay. So, why would he articulate that in public? And then, who's the audience for that? Who's he speaking to? Who is that message for? So, without further ado, my friends, the Mensa Brothers, here on a Tuesday morning. Actually, two of the three Mensa Brothers, Will and Tim, are here. Jeffrey is working. With that said... Here you go. It's been a while. Joining me from McAllen, Texas is Tim Lynch. Tim, how are you? Doing great this morning, Mac. How about yourself? I'm all right. Tim had a little, was having some microphone problems again. (laughs) I've got to figure it out, man. You characterize yourself as a podcast expert and professional. Um, Do you want to let everybody know what happened? I was trying to adjust the volume of the input of the microphone to the Yeti thing, and I adjusted it so low that nobody could hear me. And uh, thus, I must have I had to increase the gain and manually increase the input volume because that's what professionals do, you know, before they get on a podcast. You never because you never know who's listening. I mean, you know, I do so many. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well done, sure. well done. What's new in McAllen, Texas? Anything exciting? Farmers' rain. Nice, steady downpour. Been going on for about, I don't know, 10 hours, giving us some much-needed water in the valley. Nice. That's it's, it's good. So cloudy, cloudy, rainy, high in the 70s. Love it. Did you guys get a lot of um, – uh, you guys have a lot of humidity. Most of the time in humid regions, when cold fronts come through, 
you get severe weather. Do you guys do severe weather often, uh, rarely, yeah. uh, or how would you care? How would you how would you characterize that? The storms that was kicking like Will's ass in the northern parts of Texas and whatnot, by the time those things roll down here, they basically result in in lots and lots of wind, sometimes rain, sometimes not rain by the time we get here. This storm, I mean, this rain that we're getting now is coming up from Mexico and down from the north, kind of combining here. No wind, super soft, most unusual. Normally in the summertime when we get rain, it's at... Uh, it's got a significant wind and rain. Normally, it's it's associated with some type of tropical depression. Got it. Got yeah. it. It gets dry. It gets dry here in the summer, brother. I mean, dry. Not that humid. Not, okay. not Arizona dry, but you know, it's not Houston. Really? And you? Mm-hmm. And then? And how far away from Houston are you? Oh shoot, um, four hundred miles maybe. Yeah. So you're not that far from Houston, and uh-huh. you're and you're and you're. And you're complete, ha- complete different weather system. And 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 you're, that, and you're how far from the coast? 55, 60 miles. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that, that's that's the difference. The coastal the coastal weather patterns are a little bit different, but uh, but yeah, it's Houston is like New Orleans is like you know that part of uh, of of Mississippi, but down here it's it's just different. Remember, it's desert around us. We're surrounded by desert. Wow, who knew? Who knew? Chaparral desert. You know. Well, Chaparral. There's a series called what the High Chaparral when we were kids. Yeah, that's a, that's up over the Lano, what the hell, Lano Escondada, the Staked Plains. But that's that's in the northern part of this of the state, up up in the where the prairie used to be. Got it. That's it, where the buffalo once roamed. Many many moons ago. When um, do you have any birding uh, updates for us? I mean, I'm a lot of people very interested in your birding uh, career. It's like, Hold on a second. I had to I had to write this down because it's it's rather this is a rather unusual find. We do in fact have um, a uh, this this looks like a red. We've got a tufted a tufted titmouse family that that Rudy, my next door neighbor, has uh, saw saw the uh, titmouses doing the titmouse thing, you know, in their spring. So he built himself a rather elaborate bird. He has a lot of he builds a lot of birdhouses. And so now we've got five little tufted titmouses that are right up next to my fence. Is that a bird or a mouse? Oh yeah, yeah, it's a little bird. I'll, I'll, would you like me to send the pictures? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Yeah, no. It's just a little. It's another one of those birds you don't see often. And in, in, uh, it's a, it's a, it's small sparrow, no. sparrow type bird. And in my backyard, I've got like a sparrow, a house sparrow fight club. I, I've got, I get, I've gotten some great pictures of those sparrows going after each other. They look like it looks like like the Matrix stuff when they're in the middle of the air going like this and whatnot. It's fun. And you have a notebook, I noticed. You referenced while you were saying, "Hey, let me." Yeah, I wrote a note about this. You have a notebook uh, now for your I, birds. It, it, hey, listen, man. Um, if I'm gonna throw around the name of E.B. Sledge, one of our one of our sainted heroes, don't ta- don't take Sledge down this like hole EB, that you're you're about to I'm descend sure into. A, a notebook, bro. I'm not going to do this half-ass and be throwing Sledge's name around. Got it. That would that would be a that would be a a Bushido violation. As we so the say. answer is yes, Mac. I do have a notebook. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I've got a book. Bu- hey, okay. Let me ask you this: Do you have some of the birding accoutrement? So that would be um, loosely fitting khaki cargo shorts. No, 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 you go, you go with your 5'11 pants, right? 
because it's because it's when you're when you're busting the brush out here. Five eleven is different than five hundred one. Yeah, yeah, five five eleven pants. You got pockets and crap. Put water and, and long, stuff in your long pockets. pants or short pants. Long pants. Long pants. Oh, long pants. Do you have then that? You do you have that on... hat with the brim and the things in the back? No, you got it. Yeah, the chapeau. You got to have a good chapeau. <laughs> oh no. No. If only no. this was true podcasting. <laughs> there you go. Oh no, that's good. I like that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. one of the. It's a Billabong beach hat. Billabong beach. I was going to say a, that's uh, cool guy stuff. Yeah, yeah. Then I took the billabong off it and put this patch up on it because I customized my billabong stuff. This keeps the sun off you, though, man. No, the that's, sun's that's, hot here, right? Yeah. And then you get the long sleeve. Can you send us um, a picture of the hat? Sure. I'll send a picture. I'll get a picture of me wearing the hat. And we don't need that. Um, okay, you I'll send, you a send of just a picture of the hat from the front. And then I like the lining that you have because that takes a little bit of the glare off it, right? Oh yeah, the dark no, line. No, it's a it's a it's a practical piece of gear down here. Made it's, by it's, a very cool company, Billabong. There, there you go. And then, the, then to top it off, you wear a, I wear like fishing shirts. You know, the long sleeve SPF fifty, specifically designed to be out in the sun and keep the sun off because the sun. Ah, it's is- a little bit too technology. How about a long sleeve cotton t shirt? No, hell no, that'd be stupid, brother. Because you start, you get sweating. You start that thing starts getting heavy. Scratch your skin and whatnot. I got soft skin now. I'm cotton. Soft skin. I, get, I don't want to get any rashes. Cotton doesn't scratch shit. That's why the world uh, loves cotton. cotton dude, dude, you don't work. You don't. Okay. Again, it's it's the, the object of the shirt is to protect you from the sun. All right. All right. I'll yeah. accept that. All yeah. Right. The sun, sun out here is very, very hot. You guys are migrants. They know. All right. Joining me from Greater Kansas City, Will Costantini. Will, how are you? I am grand, Matt. So, uh, how's the luck going? Have we changed? This has been a bad year so far, if I could characterize. It's been a horrible year. The first quarter of the gambling season. Does gambling have a Uh, season? I mean, where are we? There are are ups and downs, you know, with it. Um, One of the seasons is, is when the stimulus checks came in. That was a big (laughs) uptick in the season. Um, So... So gambling, not poker players, but gambling, there's always an uptick at the casino when the social social security checks come in. How about tax you know? tax refunds? Got a yeah, I think tax bit. refund is also a, an uptick in the gambling side. Of so the that casino, would be stretched definitely. out for a little bit longer period of time. Yeah, um, you know, but other than that, often um, in your northern climes. Uh, the poker season goes down in the wintertime because a lot of your uh, a lot of people are snowbirds. So in the oh. southern climes, the there's an uptick mm-hmm. in in the poker community. What about the mid? What about the mid climes where you resort? Where you resort? Uh, this this is northern. There there are snowbirds around here. There's there, is there no mid? There's no mid climb. Well, I'm not overly familiar. With the mid I'm trying to think, what would the mid climb? I mean, now nah, those people are they're snowbirds. Got it. Right now. Hmm. I thought so, I thought you were going to say that during the winter there's a grand uptick because everybody's yeah. shut in in the upper climbs. No, but a significant. Well, these people are. Listen, here's what you hear at the poker table. Okay, <laughs> Saturday, Saturday in Kansas, it's 77 degrees. It's 35% humidity. It's been raining all week. 
right? So it's a beautiful Saturday afternoon. And at the poker table, you would hear, it's too nice to work out in your yard. <laughs> so I'm in here playing. So I'm in here playing poker. <laughs> Those people are indoors every day, ir irrespective of the weather out there. So wow. you have your seasonal migrants, though. And those and those are your people. You know, you yeah. know, snowbirds, snowbirds go down to like winter houses and stuff in Florida. But but winter Texans come down here to trailer parks and it, and it probably increases the local population 20 percent. I know it slams the V.A. down here, but they file into, in, into these trailer parks and all these trailer parks are, have community centers and they do. They drink, dude. And I bet they play a lot of cards. I'll bet you. But I don't know. I don't I've never been invited into a winter Texan trailer park. I don't have a I don't have the stomach. Yeah, Florida, you don't see those big uh, there are some you see RV parks. But I gotta tell you, that seasonal migration, it's it's pretty unbelievable. Yeah, it's there. huge. I'm just about 20, 20% addition to this pop population. Yeah, in, you figure where I lived in Jacksonville, that's the I ninety five corridor. Uh, so that's probably two-thirds to three-quarters of the migration. The other comes in on the west side. Um, but right around oh, Halloween time and then right around Easter time, you know, so you got the southern coming in and the northern going out, the variety of license plates you'd see out on I-95 and then the RVs and just massive flows of people. So... Anyways, you know, the update is, uh, I think we, you know, knock on wood, we may have righted the ship a little bit, still not oh, really? in the right direction, but we're, we're not heading, we're not heading down. And that's, that's good. Do your parents, yeah. um, condone your gambling? <laughs> so I actually play cards. So I'll, I'll. Wait. Are you trying to are you, are you trying to evolve your gambling into some other art form? No, so because both your I'll, both your parents are too smart for that shit, right? I'll tell I'll tell a story. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be beyond the statute of limitations. That's, well, we'll do it in an unnamed city. Okay. So my dad used to play in a game that the local bookie hosted. Oh my god. You're not so going to throw your dad. There. You're not throwing your dad in the bus, are you? So he, so he goes up there, mm -hmm. and a uniformed police officer comes into the game, mm -hmm. gets all their license plate numbers, so he can go down and check on their cars while they're up in the game. <laughs> the bookie's brother, brother-in-law, was the mayor. Wow. <laughs> That's the '60s. That's how they used to play. So, <laughs> sounds to me like a New York thing. I'm not, I'm going to say it's an undisclosed location. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. The family business. We got the cops in. Where's hey Joey? Where did you get all the shrimp? Oh, my brother works out on the docks. Right. The um. All right. Uh, a lot of uh, interesting things. Um, yesterday I was talking about. The, the media, you know, Twitter is, you know, about to be bought by Elon, Elon Musk and what changes come to that. Um, because whether we like it or not, that's where the world <clears throat> discusses things. 
the New York Times and CNN, New York Times very much under the waterline, hiring a new editor and <clears throat> making overtures to their newsroom that they will um, they will steer a more centrist course, which is very interesting, right? CNN <laughs> being bought by Warner Brothers Discovery at an event last week. They said, we want to go back to being a organization of journalists and not an advocate and not and doing and, and get away from advocacy news. So, I mean, very interesting stuff, I think, going on, about to go on in the world of media. We'll see how it all plays out. Um, also, um, uh, former Commandant of the Marine Corps, um, General Krulak and General Zinni and General Sheehan write a piece that we'll talk about, uh, that appeared in the Washington Post about the Marine Corps. And, I mean, essentially called the Commandant of the Marine Corps out. A former Commandant calls out a sitting Commandant in public. And then um, and then the Secretary of Defense goes to Kiev along with the Secretary of State, and on the backside of that visit says, the United States, the sitting Secretary of Defense says the United States wants to see a diminished Russia says that for publication. So uh, my question to you, and we talked, we've done this kind of analysis before, why would he say that and who is the audience for that? Um, Will, what say ye? Yeah, first, when you have a, a joint um, sec-dev-sec-state trip, you know, that's big. Right. I'm trying to think uh, in... When I was uh, working with General Frazier, it was Secretary Rice. That was about uh, 16 months. I I think, and so Gates was a sec def, Rice was a sec state. They were, I think they were more than professional colleagues. They'd worked together a lot. They got along really well. I think there may have been one time where they were in the same place at the same time, and that was in Riyadh, and so it was a pretty big deal. I think even like NATO type summits, they're separate. So this this is a big deal. And so it's intriguing to me what Austin said, because he said sort of the quiet part out loud, right? When you're saying we're willing to fight this war to the last dead Ukrainian, uh, as long as it grinds down Russia. So you're not really appealing to um, the, you know, the doctors without borders and the left-leaning humanitarian crowd. Um, I think that the UN has actually called out for ceasefire. So that's sort of world policy. You know, all the kids, you got to stop fighting. And the Secretary of Defense says, we want to see Russia ground down. So, uh, again, at the complete expense of the Ukrainians, and we're going to throw some money at it. And, and as a taxpayer, I don't particularly care for throwing a lot of money at it. Um, but what they're throwing at it now is budget dust. You know, this is the stuff that's in the loose change drawer in the Pentagon, tens of millions of dollars, even hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, so it's sort of intriguing to me. Who is he talking to? Is he talking to, um, you know, is he talking to the people that are seeking greater intervention 
in the U.S. and greater um, um, anti-Russia, pro-Ukrainian, sort of giving them uh, a here's what we're willing to do. Uh, so stop being idiots and saying that we need the no-fly zone and blah, 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 blah. Could that be it? I don't know, because I don't know where the country is on this anymore. It's hard for me to figure out, and I have no idea where the administration is. Maybe this is the official U.S. policy. When you get right down to it, again, take away the humanitarian side of it. It's not a bad spot for the U.S. So um, I just I thought it was an odd statement, but uh, we should be used to that by now. Yeah, I um, I don't know if 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 the message is being sent to Vladimir Putin that you know it's not going well, we know it's not going well because we're listening, and we are now in a much in a much larger way going to back the Ukrainians, and it's not going to get better. So you probably ought to sue for peace while you can. I don't know if. I don't know if that's, I, I'm trying to think of another audience that this message would be intended for, and I struggled to find that audience. Um, and so, <clears throat> I don't know, so to me it was, before this bloodshed gets increased, uh, you probably would do well to n negotiate something that could be, that could end this thing, because it's only gonna get worse for you. So if I. I don't mean to cut Tim out of this, but the other thing I just thought of is you were saying. Feel free, that, because that, before he came on, you said, you know, this might be a very good show if Tim's microphone doesn't work. There and you then... go. <laughs> so, uh, well, I don't want to say hey, you're, I'm, I'm other, I don't want to say you're talking out of both up. sides of your mouth, but make up your mind. Which do you want? The other, the other thought that who is who is this messaging for is don't forget that John Kirby is the Secretary of Defense's press spokesman. And he has shown himself to be completely inept and an idiot. Um, so there may be no thought that he was actually trying to talk to somebody uh, when Secretary Austin came out with this. Um, so that's the other thing that occurs. So, All right. Tim, your thoughts? Perfect segue. You know, Mac. If we if we go back to the Sunday talk shows, the the prime prime minister, or excuse me, one of the foreign ministers from the Ukraine was on those shows on on um, um, on this week, I believe it was, talking about the absolute necessity for us to uh, to continue. I'm sorry, excuse me, on face the nations to continue to fund the government because we are paying the salaries for the retirees and the functioning government right now, according to him, right. Then you see that the president of Ukraine kind of tweets out about, uh, hey, I'm glad I'm looking forward to this visit from the secretary of defense in the state. But uh, don't don't show up here with nothing. We need a lot of stuff. Right. And then the secretary of defense gets on there and starts saying the quiet part out loud about how we are specifically there to grind Russia down so they can never do this again to another country. That's a pretty, pretty harsh end state. Now, granted, as Will correctly pointed out, we're not throwing tens of, we're not throwing significant cash, but we're throwing the most cash than anybody else. And now we're talking self-propelled artillery tanks, et cetera, being introduced, introduced to the Ukraine. 
I'm distinctly uncomfortable because there was nothing, there is no goddamn reason the Secretary of Defense and Secretary of State need to be in the Ukraine, particularly when the president's shaking them down before they show up on Twitter. Okay, hold on, hold on. Before you continue your rant, yeah. the question is, Who's the audience? Who is this intended for? I'm going, that, I'm, I was, it's exactly what Will just said. I don't know that there was an audience. I think this is absolute stupidity. I mean, why would the Secretary of Defense say the quiet part out loud? What, what is, is he trying to intimidate Russia? Because what Russia can do is what Russia did do, and that is to say, NATO's using Ukraine as a proxy, and it's, warns it and, it's, and it's going to expand the conflict. Of course they're going to say that, because that's exactly what we are doing. I don't think that even if we are doing it, that's what we should be saying out loud in the public. I don't think the Secretary of Defense or the Secretary of State have any business being in that country whatsoever. I go back to what the Khan's old nuclear deterrent scale, and I think we should be paying attention to that, and not saying shit. Give them all the money you want. Give them all the help you want. I can understand the argument. Obviously, Ukraine is the victim here. But we got no business in there saying that kind of stuff, I don't think. This is bullshit. And it, and I, I, I'm appalled to see that. I think, that, like Will said, they may not be thinking who the messaging is. Everybody thinks it's popular to be with affiliated with the Ukraine guys now. They could use some popularity over in Washington. Quite frankly, it's about the only thing they're doing anybody likes. So the bottom line, you think it's just stupidity yep. and aimed at nobody. Aimed, I, I think it's probably aimed at the domestic market here in the United States to betray some degree of competency and to associate ourselves with a winner, et cetera, et cetera. It seems pretty clear cut who the good and the bad guys are in this one. But this is something that could get out of hand and we should be thinking down that line, not about throwing fuel on a fucking fire that's burning right in front of your house. That's just stupid. Yeah, I do. The thing is, though, Tim, the domestic audience is is uh, you know the free Ukraine, the great Democrats, etc. Um, and so, if they're trying to message the domestic audience, they completely missed. You know, the people out there flying Ukrainian flags and raising money and all that—they don't want to hear we're fighting this to the last dead Ukrainian. So it's a really bad message there uh, unless they're trying to set the limit. As a policy, look, it's not a bad policy. If we're no, going to be it, in it, it. It may not be. I'm just, uh, like I said, given the, the, the seriousness of what this could evolve into, I don't think that that's the way to be playing this thing right now, kicking them while they're down. That's exactly what they were bitching about in the 90s. And they yeah, were correct. You know, if it's, if, if, if it is the policy, there's no reason to announce it. That's my point. Policy, yeah. You know, yeah. sort of the okay. So why let's not war. let's not ascribe it to stupidity. Why if yeah. if so, we all believe that if it's not uh, that again, this can be the policy. Odd uh, that you would articulate it as such. Why articulate it? Yeah, and I don't. I don't. I mean, you think. You think that you have to go out and say it in public so that Putin understands it? He, under he already he's, understands it, though. He knows it. He, that's what I'm saying. He And he's seen, look, when the sex state and the sex dev go, even though the president doesn't go, that shows we're, we're in support right. of that country. Right. That Those two going together is a message right. that we're not giving up. 
Um, so to come out and say this is, uh, so what do you think? Tim says stupidity. I say ineptitude. I don't know. Should we not? Should we not from the very start have been making some kind of effort to get in contact with the Russians and be a mediating influence? For fuck's sake, isn't yeah, that our job? That. No, I don't. I don't. No. Think I so? don't think that we should be mediating with them. That's a, a, a third party. You know, I think no. they're trying to use the Israelis and some yeah, other enough. people. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and, and, and again, I concur. It is bad policy for the U.S. They have the Russians ground down. It's bad policy for us to become a belligerent or seen as a belligerent, I think. Right. right. Um, that's that's exactly what's alarming me. Right. I, yeah. I, so so I don't know that anything that we have said in the last couple of weeks about the munitions and things that we're going to give them get us closer to being a belligerent. Right. We backed off the uh, no fly zone. Um and again, I, I don't. It, it, it's just curious because if you wanted to sell them jets, you could have done all of that and never said a word, right? And never said a word. And and when and when queried about it in public, the response would be, <clears throat> "We don't talk about muni, muni, munition sales between allies publicly." When did that policy start? Uh, Thirty seconds ago. Right. Yeah, we we wouldn't have called him an ally, but we could have. Yeah. Well, if we would have, it would have been a mistake. So. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah, I don't know if it's just to, if Putin already knows it, we know it. And again, to me, the end state is to weld Russia to China and diminish China, and that's you know, to me, that's that that should be our end state. We're not doing it very well. China has somehow or other. Um, escape the world's wrath, very much like COVID, um, in all of this, and so. But to me, that would be my strategic aim: would be to have a diminished China and Russia um, on on the backside of this. I I just find the the fact that again, this is something he did deliberately, um, and he didn't have to. Uh, I I just I just found it very interesting to watch. Um, any final comment about it? I, I I think what you witnessed is that Russia was diminished at the start of this. They're just more diminished now and probably digging holes that they can't dig out of. My right. point with Russia has been from the start of this is they're diminished. They're not apparently, I don't know how stable they are, but they've got all those damn nukes. That's always been my biggest concern with this thing is, is it's a very unstable situation when you add in their capabilities they have to avoid an Armageddon. And um, not that I think the Ukrainians will dealt them an Armageddon, but shit, they've been diminished. I don't know how bad, and, and I'm, I would be shocked if the Chinese were able to put together an invasion of Taiwan or any goddamn place and show some infantry proficiency and proficiency in tactical maneuver there. I'd be shocked. Yeah. Well, yeah, any, fi are any, any final comment about that? No, I, that's it. It's all, it's all out there. Got it. Got it. Um, item number two today. Uh, Generals Krulak, Zinni, and Sheehan uh, published a piece in the Washington Post uh, it was entitled, and I, they probably don't have a whole lot to do with the, the, the title, Opinion, colon, 
war is a dirty business. Will the Marine Corps be ready for the next one? Um, now, this is this came at, at the end of a week when um, the you know the the world saw um, let's see four different articles written by General Zinni, Van Riper, Newbold, and um, the one on aviation written by General, is it Dake, D-A-K-E? Um, yeah. So, um, so at the end of that week, the fifth article, um, yeah, Terry Dake writes one entitled, The Marine Corps' Reorganization Plan Will Cripple Its Aviation Capabilities. So on the on the the fifth article written by a former commandant uh, with two other four star generals. So I'm I'm curious uh, your thoughts on on that article specifically, and then uh, maybe tomorrow or the next day we can take on uh, a couple of the others and just talk about things that were in the articles that uh, that maybe broke squelch for you. So uh, Tim, uh, relative to the article written by Generals Krulak, Sheehan, and Zinni. Uh, is there anything in the article itself that surprised you that they said publicly? No, it, th- there wasn't. It it uh, it's a it's it basically addresses the same arguments that that we that everybody's been making since the very start of this thing. It's just unfortunate that at the time that we're 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 paying attention to this in the press, you've got a U- invasion in the Ukraine going on, and Elon Musk is buying Twitter, which has driven the Ukraine off the front pages. So. I'm not so sure what the bandwidth and reception is. It is probably 100% amongst the retired Marine Corps community, but it already was 100%. I'm just, I'm feeling like it's an unfortunate timing thing. I believe this would have been more effective maybe earlier when they realized that they had no traction with the Commandant in the more traditional manners of communicating them. I I just think we're a little bit too late, quite frankly. Okay. Anything in the article itself that they wrote that got your attention? No, it was it was once again an excellent an, an excellent summary of our, our of our utility in the form that we have always known ourselves, and the fact that we can no longer perform that, um, and and the and the the course once again it's brought out the absolute folly of putting all your eggs in the South China Sea basket against the Chinese Navy off a bunch of islands you don't own. I mean, that's rather obvious to virtually everybody except for a handful of uh, advisors in the, in D.C., apparently. So, no, there's nothing new there. But um, I, like I said, it's the, the timing's unfortunate because it's not getting – I don't sense traction. I don't, I don't know that, but I just, you know, knowing trends in the news and stuff like that. There's a lot going on that people like to pay attention to. Got it. Will, how about you? Yeah, I mean – it, it's uh, it's a sort of boiled down criticism of Force Design 2030 Com- compared to the uh, podcast that General Zinni and General Van Riper did. You know, there was a lot more depth in that. Obviously, right. this is this is pretty narrow um, and interesting. That you know, the commandant I think has talked about that. You need to take risk when you innovate, et cetera. And in this article, they don't describe it as risk. They describe it as gamble. 
And there's a big difference between risk and gamble. Risk, you calculate. Gamble, you don't know. And so that's a, those are damning words. Um, but I don't, the, the de- I don't, I don't think I saw any new detail or any new opinion in this particular piece compared to what I've seen in other things and that what we have discussed. The fact that it's, you know, in the hometown newspaper with a former commandant um, and two, uh, two other retired four stars with their name on the bottom line. You know, that's, the, the lines are hardening out there. Got it. The, um, I'll, I'll just read a, a few things from it that I highlighted. Uh, in the one, two, three, four, fifth paragraph, the plan reflects some mistaken notions about the future of war. Simply put, it is folly to bank on technology allowing us to fight our battles from a distance. War is inevitably a dirty business, and war in Ukraine is a sample of what we may encounter in conflicts to come. Technology has not obviated the need. I like the word obviated, just so you know. Technology has not obviated the need for sustained artillery capabilities and armor. Then in the next paragraph, they write, War is also often unexpected. Force Design 2030 is tailoring the Marines to a narrow set of possible conflicts. But the world could just as easily throw us a curveball. And I'm mindful of the Lynn Wells memo uh, in reading that. A couple paragraphs down. What's more, it's not clear that the Marine Corps of Force Design 2030 would achieve even its narrowly focused goals against China. First, all the islands the Marines would seek to occupy belong to some nation. The nations will unlikely appreciate their territory being turned into a bullseye. Second, our Chinese adversaries are likely to be able to quickly track and target these Marines' positions, which would have to be in what the Marine Corps calls the weapons engagement zone within the range of enemy missiles. Claims that units could be hidden from the enemy, all while moving, resupplying, and communicating with headquarters discount the technology that we know that China already has. Um, yeah, you know, the logistics side of this is take away all the policy, the divestment, the budget, the blah, blah, blah. The logistics side of it is absolutely ridiculous. You know, when I see Force Design 2030 and then I see that they're, they taught a class at the basic school about foraging, <laughs> I mean, give me a fucking break. Come on. You know, logistics is math. How many gallons? How many calories? How many pounds? All that math turns into transportation. There is no 3D printer that can print you water over there uh, or the part to fix the missile launch system. And so you got to be able to bring shit in. And then you got to be able to take shit out like wounded Marines. And so um, the logistics side of it is, is it's ridiculous. And we say we're going to have low signature units. You know, you can have very, very, very low signature reconnaissance teams, et cetera, for a very, very limited amount of time. Because those guys also need a certain support. Um, so, 
Yeah. Really sort of stupid. That's I think I think Van Riper may have that may have offended him when they talked about wargaming this. Because if you if you wargame after insert and before resupply, there's a lot of units that are really, really capable. But it's duration and that's logistics and that's math and transportation and there's no magic bullet that. Continuing setting small groups of Marines on islands to wait for enemy ships to sail past is not innovation. Cutting significant combat capabilities that may be needed in all theaters to afford questionable capabilities in one theater is not innovation. The stakes of this, as Will said, appropriately pointed out, the stakes of this gamble require not only serious study and wargaming both within and without the Marine Corps, but they beg closer scrutiny by the combatant commanders, the Department of Defense, and Congress. And then the last line, the national security ramifications of reducing the capabilities of our nation's most ready, agile, and flexible force are seismic. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I, nothing new. Uh, the language is in, in its reduced forms is pretty stark. The argument is concise, but the big news is General Krulak putting his name on it in public. General Zinni and Sheehan have already done that. And so uh, so um, it goes, again, essentially calling on Congress and the DOD to, 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 to scrutinize the Marine Corps. The combatant commander thing to me is very interesting because it goes back to Representative Luria's questioning of Lieutenant General Smith, where did this come from? Was this a request yep. from a COCOM, combat commander? And it was, you know, General Smith tried to articulate, no, this was the Marine Corps reading the leaves, uh, reading the tea leaves between conversations, what they could provide in the future, and blah, 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 blah. So um, so I, it'll be very interesting, As and, and again, as Tim quite rightly points out, does anybody give a shit? You know, what's also weird about this is it's sort of like the history going in cycles. The commandant is is basically a proponent of the same kind of thinking that the air power theorists in the 1930s had about what the airplane could do to obviate the need for infantry anymore. No, we can take care of all of this from from strategic uh, uh, with strategic airstrikes. Obviously, a flawed concept. But this is the same kind of thinking, though. Oh, no, no, no. We don't need to get, get we're not going to close with anybody. We'll just We'll sit out there and we'll, we'll take pot shots and we'll uh, we'll subsist and abide. Maybe that's what that's what they ought to be practicing. Maybe is, is becoming beach bumps. They can practice. Did abiding. you just use the word abide? Yeah, abide. I know it just came and right you, out like the dude. But uh, I mean, you, it's it's a it's a ridiculous concept. It doesn't when make they any issue sense billabong. Anymore. When they issue billabong, then we'll know we're in trouble. But <laughs> I think if you're wearing billabong, you're more likely to be better at foraging. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, this, like expanded vocabulary. It's something that I, I think I talked about it before this book, Finding the Target. There's a criticism of the whole transformation argument before we got involved in Iraq and Afghanistan. The idea that all we need to be able to do is find the target, over-reliance on technology. Um, so it, it's been one of the great things about the Marine Corps is that, that – we're a lot more technical 
than I think the average American knows, but we're a lot less technologically reliant because the war fighting doctrine is based on the human. Um, so we're sort of changing that. I got to tell you, I re after you read that paragraph, I reread it to myself and thought about it. The idea of setting small groups of Marines on islands is not innovation. Cutting capabilities is not innovation. That right there is the Saturday Night Live Jane, you ignorant slut comment <laughs> right there. That really is, right? Because the, the party line is innovation. You guys are dinosaurs. We're thinking about the future, innovation. And they come out and they boil down FD2030 to a couple of small things and say, that ain't, you know, that's not innovation. That is, that's, that's a real slap. So, yeah. Can you name for me a time historically when the defender of an island won? Um, I think the Greeks did it once. <laughs> um, well, I'm, yeah. I'm, I think there was one place in some, some place in the Peloponnesian. Maybe Malta. Malta. Oh, there you go. There's one. And what happened? On, explain to us what happened on Malta. So figure uh, Germans have gone in to North Africa to buttress their Italian allies. And... Uh, so they've got a resupply across the Mediterranean. And Malta sits off the coast of Tunisia, basically between Sicily, Italy, and Tunisia. It's a British possession. And so from Malta, uh, the Allies are interdicting the German um, resupply effort, both airborne and seaborne. And so the Germans put on a pretty significant effort to reduce Malta to nothingness. And the British uh, basically are able to withstand the siege. By and it's an, avi but it's an, aviation, it's an aviation event because they don't have any form of amphibious capability. Right. The they never, don't. Yeah. I don't believe the Germans ever um, considered invading. I don't think so. Um, like they did the paradrop on Crete. Crete. I don't right. know that that was ever considered on Malta. Um, Kinda not very but they were places. unable to reduce it. Um, From the air. It was under siege. Yeah, it was under siege for a long time. I don't, off the top of my head, I don't Knight, know. But Knight Templars held on to it for a couple of years against the, against the Muslim invaders. They never got yeah. it from the Knight Templars either. Not many places to land. Heavily fortified cities at that time. Yeah, it's basically Malta. I've been there. It's like the whole thing is urban. There's very little, um, you know, it looks like one big city kind of a thing, if I remember right. Yeah, pretty cool place. I went there as a, uh, you know, as a Arabic feo, so I got to travel around the Middle East. And uh, we went to Malta because their, um, the language has got a significant amount of Arabic sort of derivation but also because we had just spent three weeks in uh, Morocco and Tunisia. And so we wanted a break on a nice Mediterranean island. So we went to Malta. You knew that was days. coming, just so everybody knows. You knew that was coming. 
The um, and because when whenever else do you get to go to Malta? I was gonna say I almost fainted when you said <laughs> that. I, I need some guys Malta. that lived there, man. but I knew the story place. about how you got to Malta would be a good one that involved <laughs> some sort of boondoggle, if you will. But I and think, believe it or not, yeah, there's a Marine detachment at the embassy there. I think it was seven guys. The embassy was like the second floor of a commercial business building downtown. And you need seven. I mean, that you, was a sweet deal. You need certainly need seven Marines to guard that shit. Um, that was a sweet deal. And I, I guess, uh, judging from the very, very limited uh, list that both Tim and Will, both prolific readers, uh, manufactured, would give you some idea of what defending an island or defending, you know, where that gets you in most of history's conflicts. Now, I know future war is going to be completely different. I've got the memo on that. Um, but if it's not, <laughs> you, if you're the defender, right, it doesn't stack up well for you. And again, the things about this, again, I don't want to get into force design, but, um, and we're seeing it with the Solomon Islands. So much of this has to do with where you're at currently in terms of economic relationships, diplomatic relationships that open doors for military relationships. And we're not we we don't have it. We don't have a treaty. We don't have an incentivized incentivization program for manufacturing that brings these countries closer to our sphere. And now we have, you know, the Australians saying that a naval base in the Solomon Islands is a red line for us. Right. And so, um, yeah. And, and what the fuck has taken so long for us to engage in some kind of event like that? And again, one of my, probably my biggest criticism of Donald Trump's policies is, I got it, you don't like Trans-Pacific Partnership. Then you like battle, bilateral agreements. Then fucking negotiate them, man. Because China is, quote unquote, our pacing threat. But we saw nothing. And a year and a few odd months into the Biden administration, you see nothing. Absolutely nothing. And uh, it's discouraging. But again, the whole idea of defending in the Pacific, not so much. Um, all right. Um, what are you reading? Tim, what are you reading? I know this is a Friday question, but. Yeah, I I, I, I stumbled into one of these series. I, you know, there's a lot of uh, authors that write a book. They'll, can't, they'll put out a thriller every year. It'd be a cop procedural or a or an ex-Special Forces guy who happens to be an assassin that just helps out people that are desperate. You know, that kind of, that would be your Orphan X series. There's this one called Joe Pickett series, who's a Wyoming game and fish guy, who's a very proficient, and in, in, he's, he's obviously the, the, the prototypical Western guy that you want to read and follow as him and his family develop. There's 21 books in this series. I'm up to that about seven, which starts out in the, uh, in the early 90s, not a special forces guy, not a not a gunslinger, although he teams up with a very, very high speed special forces guy, of course. But these books that you can read one in a day. I mean, you can burn through these things and it's so damn enjoyable because C.J. Box, the author, writes about the terrain, the vegetation and most in the weather so effectively and weeds it into these stories which are a lot of fun. Some of them involve crop circles. All of them are were topical at the time. Grizzly bear introduction back in the in, in the West. There's all kinds of uh, of uh, of plot twists to this thing. But goddamn, 
I can sit down and read one of those in about two days. I just enjoy the hell out of them. So I'm kind of caught up in this uh, following uh, um, Joe Pickett as he evolves in the game and fish service to wherever he's going to be at novel 21, which just came out. I, and I enjoy it. I can is, read this kind of crap all day long. Is there any discussions of birds in there? The special forces dude who has every once in a while shows up to help him out of things. Who carries a 454 Mizzou? What the hell's a some kind of freedom arms thing that's made in Wyoming? It's some kind of a massive roller. I haven't bothered to look it up now. He's a falconer. He's a birder. He carry, he keeps some falcons. And every once in a while when he has to murder somebody to kind of protect Joe, he'll disappear because the FBI is looking for him. And Joe and his daughter feed the falcons who never leave. So there's a shit ton in there about falconry. And there's a, but not much about other birds because, you know, it's a big game country. There's a lot about elk. Got it. There's a lot about that kind of stuff, you know, but I, I don't know if you I enjoy up on it. That. What's that? Tim said, Tim said you could read the book in a day. Then he said it takes him about two days. Yeah, no, it's, I'm, you know, I'm not sure. Read, you know, I, 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 I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to portray myself as a man that doesn't have entire days to dedicate to reading about some goddamn fictional game of wildlife guy in Wyoming. I, I want, I don't want that. To is that in fact not true? But I could. Is that in fact not true? No, no. Oh, it's not true right now because I got, I got finals. I, I, but about like this time next week, it, it, I, I could probably, I'll probably end up piling through a bunch of those damn things. Because I'm in a, you know, my growing season, I, I, I have to do just a little bit of tending to get the crop up. And then uh, soon it will be, uh, be, be nothing but a gigantic backyard of big ass sunflowers. That's my annual crop done. What, um, ultimately, what are you going to do with your advanced degree? I don't know. I'm going to try to find a job. I don't know if anybody will have me. I might try to find a job. I might not. Do, I, I doing what, though? Doing what? Well, I would I would have designs on being a county emergency management guy is what, what I would do. But uh, I, I, I would I, like I, that job. I think that's yeah, a good yeah. business got, to get into. I've got, you know, I've, I've, I I do know some people up in Corpus Christi and whatnot. It's just a question of if I can find my So why the fuck did you get a degree in? What's your degree going to be in? Sociology or something? Disaster, disaster studies. What? Disaster studies. Because it was like one that the, uh, the, the, the Chapter 31 guy said, hey, look, you can do this one. I've got this one already set up in the computer as far as like a template. I'm looking at it. I'm like, oh, emergency management. So I like Tim, that. just was, uh, for the record. What's that? Are, just for the record. You are going to pursue getting a job. Yeah, well, I absolutely. That is, because that that is, that's how the VA is paid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I, oh. I just, oh. I just want to find a position that's not like entry level. Obviously, I, I, I'd absolutely like, I'd like to have my experience. Employment. What's that? Is pursue. That is why the VA funded this so that you could pursue employment. Oh no, just absolutely. for the record. Absolutely, and that's exactly right. what I'm going to do. Exactly. Exactly what I want to do. But but that's that's. But again, that is, you were taking all these sociology classes where you were matching wits with uh, very very. Oh man, highly I educated. I got another one on Thursday. Oh, it's horrible. Right. I mean, but why were you taking all those? So because the, uh, sociology the disaster studies the disaster studies program is in the sociology department, and so I had to take all kinds of sociology in order to get a master's from the sociology department. That makes sense to me now. Okay. I I would prefer it to be in the like some other department, like the public safety department, but it's not. Got it. Got Emergency it. management is in sociology. If I would, had been in the public safety, if it had been in a public safety department, I could have been 
because I can't take anything that's no, not germane. No, you're going to take in classes on larva siding and mosquito destruction and shit like that. Yeah, I could I could have, but instead I'm doing sociology of poor people and defining all other kinds yeah, of stuff. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I have uh, I have problems, but I tell you what, the the medical policy one was most. I learned a lot from that. A lot I did not know about medical policy, but it's not you know it's not that terrible. I, I would not want to do that for a living. Got it. Got it. All right. I I didn't know if you were on a trajectory to get involved in social services no, no, well, in the region no, or something. At the end like of that. this thing, when I get my degree, then they put me together with somebody, and, and I'm and I'm I've already told them. I said, you know, I'm I'm kind of looking up at Corpus Christi if it's possible. We'll see. Tampa would be nice too if I could find a place out there, but I don't know anybody there. Be near my dad. Got him. All right. All right. Well, what are you reading? I actually just finished Comanche Empire last night. Um. So, interesting book. The guy can't help himself in certain things. But he didn't realize that he busted one of the great myths of the American Indians, right? The American Indians who um, were one and being with Gaia, Mother Nature, etc. But he <laughs> talks about how the Plains Indians, um, they didn't liquidate the American buffalo, but they nearly liquidated it in the area they lived right. and caused great uh, environmental change, which changed their living pattern, which screwed them up, which led to their demise. So he busted a myth, although he... With I don't the think horse herds, right? With the horse yeah. herds. Yeah. Horse herds competing with buffalo in the same area just didn't work. Buffalo broke down, uh, led to their society breaking down. And then the you know the the hunters American hunters liquidated the buffalo, but that was uh, a decade later. Um, so just interesting. Um, it it uh, didn't know anything about it, but I think uh, a lot of his history of the Comanches is actually very relative to what happened with Texas, New Mexico. Um, the Mexican-American War, uh, and then how the U.S. Uh, sort of drove through the plains in the in the uh, postbellum after the Civil War era, uh, and I didn't quite I didn't know anything about it, and now it it makes me think about some other stuff you do know. So it's a good book, Comanche Empire. Been cited here before. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Do you guys have a remedy for um, we no longer institutionalize people with mental health issues? They are uh, a, a large no part of our homeless population. And when you see violent crime, it is not at all surprising to see people with a long history of uh, serious mental illnesses. Um, the story, I believe, in New York, the handyman of a lover of Queen's mom, Orsolia Gay, was charged Thursday with her murder and police say he committed a horrendous crime during a fight over, over their recently ended affair of two years. David Benola, already on the NYPD radar, um, stabbed her 55 times. Um, and I don't want to talk about that case, but it, it, it just, once again, highlights um, 
Any solution to, to I mean, you see, and, and you see this uh, people being shoved in front of a subway car and killed by somebody who's, you know, living on the streets, you know, clearly crazy. Um, uh, any solution to that, Tim? You, you've been immersed I, in social issues. Um, what well, do we I, do with I, all these people with serious mental illnesses living on our streets, praying? I mean, I'll tell you what, you see the, the videos of, I mean, Asians preyed upon, uh, principally in New York City, um, by people that are crazy. Um, uh, what do we do as a nation? I, I think at an individual level, which is the only way where, and only only level at which I know you can have a, an effective strategy to deal with people like this, is is I would encourage everybody in the world to read Gavin DeBecker's The Gift of Fear or do his free masterclass on YouTube and learn basically how to recognize situations that you can uh, you can avoid. That's what you can personally do as a as as at the society at the society level. The problem is with institutionalization is the abuse of institutionalization. There's obvious people that would benefit from being placed in an area where they are cared for, fed, and not given sharp objects. There's no question about that. Um, It it seems the states are very reluctant to do this because of the uh, potential for abuse, because of the the consistent... um, consistent arc of history going towards an enlightened future that we're all heading towards thinking that makes that that makes what is obviously an issue of compassion and humanity i.e getting these people out of the rain into a place where they can be cared for which makes that uh um a not a not a palliative a palliative option because it, it, it's an infringement on their freedoms as free beings i guess i don't know it's obvious that you need to do something a lot of that has is tied with addiction and drug abuse and stuff like that. And I'm all for giving every junkie who wants it free fucking heroin at a at a government place where you can supervise them. I think it's better than what you got right now. I'm all for that kind of a, a of enlightened thinking. But what are we going to get right now in our current administration? The way things are going in the country at the moment, nobody's going to be paying attention to this because unfortunately, well, yeah, but the other you, the previous administrations. Previous administrations haven't done shit about it either. I mean, I'll tell you what, if you go, I mean, you guys have all been to San Diego. San Diego, when I went to college in nineteen late 70s, early 80s, if you went downtown, there was nothing but tattoo parlors, strip joints, and people selling drugs. Oh, I remember. I was, right. I was there in 79 at Corman School. Hort, at Horton Plaza. I mean, you would not go down there alone, certainly. And then you would not go south of Horton Plaza to the uh, Wharf District and the Warehouse District. You wouldn't go down there alone or, or even with friends. Um, they completely transformed the city by sinking billions of dollars into it. And, um, you know, because of its moderate climate, San Diego gets overrun by homeless people. And you, you, you see that, the dilemma of trying to, you know, redevelop your downtown then have it overrun and smell like piss <clears throat> and then people not want to come down and, and do that and so you, you, I, you, I think the, the history of this is I believe the do-gooders um, in the 80s in particular said it's people's fundamental right to be free and I think that the Reagan administration 
I can't remember all of it, but acquiesced to that. And so that's when the institutionalization stopped. stopped. Was that and, a Supreme uh, Court decision that, that prompted that? You know, I don't, uh, I don't. I don't remember that. But, but, but when you look at the cases of people getting stabbed 50 times, it's invariably. Yeah, that, this case had nothing to do with mental health. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's, yeah, those people downtown aren't stabbing people. That's, that's, that is an intimate partner, and that's normally who's going to be the perpetrator in a case of that nature. It's All right, bad example a, that prompted the discussion. But, yeah, yeah. So yeah, does yeah. This, is this just something we live with as a, as a nation? That, um, oh, well, you don't have to. You can move down to Texas. You don't have to deal with any homeless down here, bro. It's too hot. I, you know, it's uh, it, it's something that it it's uh, I'll go a little bit out here again because my 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 understanding of history is a little foggy, but I got a feeling this is um, here we are being ruled by experts, right? Mm, good point. The, the experts say that that it's the institution is not the right place. Um, and maybe they came up with some utopian fairyland about what the right place is, right? You can't get there as a matter of public policy because we're not going to invest, you know, one third of the government budget for this. And so instead you got the worst case scenario where we don't have whatever the benefits of, of a previous regime. And now you've got the, the downside, the downside to society but also the downside to the individual. Uh, if, if people have mental illness, um, right, you wouldn't treat someone with cancer like that. Hey, you're on your own. Heart disease, anything like that. But we, we seemingly have treated people like that. And and then and yeah, what percent of the vagrant homeless population has got mental illness. I don't, I don't have a number in front of me, but I got to think it's pretty significant, probably a majority, if not a significantly large minority of that, because what else chases you out into homelessness, um, financial collapse, but there's a pretty good safe, safety net in the U S for that. Um, getting away from a domestic situation. But again, there's a safety net that can can bring those people in. So the people that are long-term residents of the street, and look, we have a, we got a homeless population in Kansas City. Kansas City is a tough place in January. We live in outdoors, but they're out there. So, yeah, so w- w- what do we do going forward? Well, Whatever we do requires funding. I got to tell you something. We're in a horrible, horrible spot right now. Interest rates are going to go up. Debt service is now three or four hundred billion dollars a year. It could easily be a trillion dollars in two years. Debt service on U.S. government debt. I think the Biden budget was five point six trillion, of which two trillion is is. Uh, is additive to the debt, so that's not going to get through. But even if it's four and you add a trillion more to the debt every year, but then debt service goes up by $600 billion, you know, we're, we're in a bad, bad spot. 
for government funding of anything out there. And uh, how big of a problem is the mental illness, homeless population problem? It ain't a problem. Are you talking about the, at the senior well, level of the government? Wait a second. No, no, I'm talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not a. It's not a problem for me. Not a problem for Tim. Does it get mentioned right? at the poker table? Oh hell no. You know, but it's still but, peculiar that our most senior leaders are older than the old Soviet Polterboro. They've been in power longer. Yeah. They just never go away. But, but a diff- I get, yeah, I, I mean, I get the humor, but a very different thing. Yeah. Middle class America um, look, it's not a problem, right? Because we don't go there and we don't live there. Right. No, no. You're yeah. not on public transportation in New York City. Um, you know, you don't you I mean in New York, when I was a kid when we'd be down there in the seventies, you know, New York is a really shitty place, but we just didn't go there. You didn't go to Times Square and Central Park and Bowery and those kind of places. And my dad, you know, taught us a few times around the subway. You don't stand near the platform. Um, you just don't do shit where wackos or whoever can interdict you. Um, you try not to get caught at a light when the squeegee guy is coming up. And so you got all that defense mechanisms built in. And then you live in a reasonably decent neighborhood somewhere and it's not your problem. When will the country deal with it? When it becomes the country's problem. It's not the country's problem right now. All right. So, well said. All right, boys. I appreciate the uh, the input. Um, I'll ping you later on today to see if we can. What I'd like to do is just um, maybe pick two of the articles um, and then go through the, the four articles that were written. Zinni, Newbold, Dake. Is that how you say that? Is it Dake or Doc? I think so. I, I think, think it's Dake. Wasn't yeah. he a? I think he was a former assistant commandant. Right, and so mm-hmm. anyway, and go through those, and again, as as the uh, uh, this discussion, um, and we never really discussed John Schmidt's article either. I'd like to do that as well because he's a prolific writer and and thinker. Uh, uh, you know him, right? Anyway, all right, guys, thank you. Have a great day, Mac. See you, yep. Will. That'll do it on a Tuesday. Interesting stuff. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike McNamara, the Salmarine Radio. We'll be back tomorrow. On that note, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs>